Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, relationships, well-being, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. We'd like to give a big shout out to today's Sharing is Caring guest, Plan B Sleep Consulting, empowering parents to achieve a better night's sleep. Welcome back. Today we are bringing you a special mini episode featuring our recent Sharing is Caring guest. In these segments, we like to connect with a person or a brand with a great story and initiative, giving you inside knowledge and often great tips on a wide range of areas. Today's guest is a dear friend of ours, Bianca Burge. She's the owner of Plan B Sleep Consultancy. Bianca's practice is all around empowering parents to achieve a better night's sleep. As a registered midwife and internationally certified sleep consultant, she uses the most holistic approach when dealing with children's sleep issues. Sleep is such a vital biological function to our health and well-being, and if you're not getting a lot of it due to unsettled babies and young children, you may just need some support. Let's find out all the tips from Bianca. Here she is. Bianca, darling, thank you for joining us again. How are you today? Thanks, guys. I'm well. I'm well. How are you both going? We're I'm good. Great. Slightly sleepless, so very happy to <laughs> be seeing your face and hearing your voice today. Couldn't have come at a better time. <laughs> so first off, we know that you're an experienced midwife, but can you just start by giving us a little overview on what made you go down the path of sleep consulting? Yeah, so I've got two little boys. Oscar is five and Hugo is three and a half. And I guess where I sort of became quite interested in sleep consulting was when Oscar was a newborn. He was a really shockingly hard newborn. He was doing all the actually all the normal newborn things. I just didn't really understand it. So from there, I I definitely started doing a lot more reading and so forth. When I had Hugo, the same sort of thing erupted. And with all of my postnatal depression and so forth, I didn't feel like there was much in the way of support around our area. Yeah. And really just in Victoria, Australia, I didn't feel like there was a great amount of support for sleepless mums and explaining that a lot of these issues are very real and normal. Mm. So I created Plan B based on that, basically. So I started Plan B about three and a half years ago now. And it literally started from an idea of just really wanting to help families get some more sleep and Mm. just be as real as I possibly could. And since you started Plan B and sort of found that there was a bit of a gap in the markets, do you find that the industry has grown and expanded a lot? Oh, massively. Yeah. 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 When I had Oscar, I think there was always one sleep consultant that I was always following. There was some in America that I was following. I mean, Instagram was very different back then, but nothing really popped up on my feed. I wasn't, I never really thought, oh, I'll get a sleep consultant. I thought, oh no, just do what what I do. Like, that's fine. When Hugo came around though, 
I was a lot more understanding of like, you know, sleep consultants and all that sort of stuff. I had a sleep consultant with Oscar, but it was very basic information. It wasn't, it was literally, here's a sheet, off you go. Follow mm. it. So yeah. we know as mothers of young kids ourselves how much parents mm. obsess over sleep. Like I remember, you know, the first time being a new mum, like you become obsessed by sleep, how much sleep you're getting or you're going to get, how much oh. the baby is or isn't sleeping. At what sort of age or stage do you recommend that parents can sort of start implementing a sleep routine with babies? When it comes to newborns, I will always say don't follow a strict routine or strict times or anything like that. What we really want to be focusing on from newborns is looking at awake windows. So different ages have different awake windows. But really when they're newborn, all you want to be doing is a feed, play, sleep routine. So you really just want to be feeding them, giving them a little bit of tummy time or, you know, giving them a cuddle and doing tummy time on you and then popping them back down for a sleep when they're showing tired signs. As they get older, when they sort of start to hit more of that sort of four-month mark, that's a sort of sweet spot to really start doing sleep training. So that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get a sleep consultant. It literally just means that you can start focusing more on things becoming a lot more predictable than what they are sort of currently or, um, or prior to that sort of four-month period. That's exactly the position that I'm in right now, four month old. Yeah, yes, you're in the trenches. Yeah, which brings me to want to ask you about regression, this term regression and babies going through these different developmental stages which affects their sleep and affects their routine and may affect other things like their eating or drinking or whatever else it is. Can you talk us through like what you would describe as a regression, like if they're real, what they are and what we should look out for? Yeah, so I definitely believe in regressions, not only because I've researched a lot about them, but mm-hmm. because I've seen them happen with my own children. So a regression is it is a really shocking word to call it because it sounds, it sounds so negative, mm-hmm. but essentially what it is, it's a progression in their development. So from that four-month period, babies start to develop more of an adult-like sleep cycle. So you start to see their sleeps start to form really from about sort of six to 12 weeks. You'll find a baby starts to really catnap more. So they may have been doing big, long chunks prior to that. But around about that six to 12-week mark, you really start to see them catnap a lot more and they're not linking their sleep cycles. They might start to become a bit more irritable. Around that four-month mark, their sleep starts to become more adult-like. So what you start to see, especially in the evenings, is their chunks of sleep start to become more two to four hours. So REM might be waking up about sort of anywhere between sort of two to four hours overnight. And if they are sort of rocked or held or fed to sleep, they are going to expect that that's the way that they need to get back to sleep, basically. Mm. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's fine. Like it doesn't matter at the end of the day. If you're happy Mm. doing that, go ahead, do it. But it's really when it starts to become an issue and you go, okay, I'm actually not getting enough sleep. I am not being the parent that I need to be for my child or children. Mm. And then that's where you sort of make the decision on where you want to go with how you want to do sleep training. Mm. Probably a lot of people feel similarly or maybe people do the same thing with one baby to the next, but I feel quite different about the type of parenting that I want to practice with this second time around. I'm a lot more relaxed about 
the way that I do things, probably just because I'm more confident. I've done it before. I knew what worked the first time and, you know, and what didn't. But also, you know, I've just grown and, and evolved and changed a little bit as a parent as well. So I'm doing things quite differently, I suppose. And we definitely want to talk to you about your techniques when it comes to babies and settling. But I'm interested just to quickly know, can like more attachment style parenting, so co-sleeping or like a lot of skin on skin, a lot of like nurturing and tending to their needs on demand, can attachment style parenting and a good independent sleeping child coexist? That's a good question, Soph. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they can. So I don't personally practice co-sleeping, sleep training in, in my practice, but there are definitely sleep consultants out there that do that. So if that's where the way that you want to go, they're definitely just do your research and you will find sleep consultants that do that. I definitely have my more gentle techniques and my more like firmer techniques. Both work well. They just work on different lengths of time. I guess to answer your question, it really depends. So if you're doing, it obviously works if you are doing it, but basically it will just definitely take a lot longer, okay? So you can do things like if you're breastfeeding your baby to sleep constantly Mm -hmm. and you're wanting to sort of wean off that, you can start to really slowly start to back off on doing that so much and then do more of hands-on settling you know, the rocking or whatever, and then sort of back off from that a bit more and just be more hands-on in the cot and then sort of start to back off from there as well. And, you know, still picking them up when they need comfort and so forth, but trying to focus more on their cues and actually listening to their cries. That's one big thing that I'm really, like that I really try and enforce and encourage families to really understand is listening to their baby's cry rather than just responding because their baby is crying, going, is that actually a cry? that they need to be resettled or is that a cry that they're actually trying to learn that skill to be able to self-settle and resettle? That's really good to know and that's great advice, Bianca. So for people that do have different parenting Mm. styles or do your research, find the right people for you. Most certainly. Yeah, that's it. I was very much all about teaching my babies to learn self-settling. I think when they were about maybe five, I think Lulu was five and Nina was about six months old. But I do know that with a lot of people, it can be quite a controversial topic, you know, letting your babies cry and kind of teaching them to settle themselves. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of your method? I know obviously it probably varies a lot, but some of your method and techniques when it comes to teaching babies to self-settle? Yeah, so definitely with my little bubbies, so younger than sort of that four-month mark, I do definitely more hands-on settling. So when I get families coming to me, I sort of explain to them, you know, that your bubby is still very little. They're In most cases, like I'll get some three-week-old babies coming to me because their parents are just at the end and they're just going, do you know what, I need help. I just need guidance. I need to make sure that my baby's actually doing the right thing. Mm. So in that case, you'd go more to do with like your like a shush pat which is a really good technique to use with newborns. So focusing really on that sort of fourth trimester and really still sort of encouraging bubbies to be really, really close to mum, but also just allowing them to kind of fall asleep in a place that they're going to wake up. So trying to do a shush pattern like a bassinet or a cot, and that will really help them when they wake up and they go, oh, my God, where am I? They're not going, I'm in a different spot. I'm actually in the same spot I fell asleep. 
Yeah. You can then move more onto things like a technique called pick up, put down, which is a really good technique for parents who are a bit more hands-on. And this is one I'd use sort of from four months up. Um, and basically that one is you're just picking your bubby up each time they cry after a certain amount of time and then giving them a little cuddle and a kiss, waiting for them to calm down and then popping them back down again. That's a really nice technique to use, but it does take a little bit longer because it's a bit more stimulating for bubby. We then move on to things like for four-month-old, you can do them for three-month-olds too, but more four-months is one called space soothing. It's essentially the Ferber method if you've heard the Ferber method. So basically with that one, it's just increments of allowing Bubby to cry and increasing those increments as the days go on. That one is probably one of the ones that gets the most slack because it's known as cried out, which is not actually cried out. Cried out is more just literally shutting the door, not walking back into your baby and not responding to them, which I don't do that technique. Yeah, that's extreme. And some people do it and it works then, but I don't do it. I yeah. just, yeah. Suppose like everything depends on the baby, right, as well? Depends 100%. on the parent and the baby, that one. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So the... The cortisol that's released in sleep training, especially like your space soothing and stuff, it's no more than in a baby that would have their immunizations, their first day of daycare. It's a positive stress response. It's a short-term training. Therefore, you're going to see them, your baby learn quickly. Therefore, their cortisol, it's not at a high amount that's dangerous basically, okay? Then for our older bubbies, we've got one called gradual withdrawal, and that's a really nice technique for bubbies who are going through a lot of separation anxiety, who are really needing more support and needing you in the room. And that one is basically you're gradually removing yourself from the room over a few days. So you'd sort of move your chair back every three days, giving them that nice sort of support. That's a really good one for toddlers. But, yeah, they're pretty much the main sort of techniques that I use. Often toddlers, you know, when they get to that age where you're either moving them into a bed, so say, you know, Mm. when they're two or three years old or when they're toilet training overnight and things like that, you know, their sleep can definitely change, which can be really hard if you've gone from having a child that sleeps, you know, practically through the night to then sort of Mm. waking up. Do you find like doing sleep training with toddlers is a lot more difficult? It's the just different. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's just different. It makes it harder if the bubs are obviously out of the cot yeah, um, or if mm. they're climbing out of a cot. That's really hard. Or if the parents have actually transitioned them to a bed too early. My best piece of advice is with toddlers is keep them in their cot as long as possible. Mm. Like literally mm. if they are not climbing out, like Hugo is three and a half now. He only went into a bed about 12 weeks ago because I was like, you're not climbing out of the bed. You're happy. You are fine. Yeah. You don't need to go into bed yet. The reason being is because kids sort of lack that understanding of, you know, if if you hop out of the bed, like that's not, we don't want you to do that. They just go, okay, I'm going to get out of the bed because I want to do that. Party time. So the older they get, the more they, yeah, the more they sort of understand. So yes, it is harder to sleep train a toddler, but it actually is quicker because they understand it quicker. But their cries and stuff, yeah, they are extreme compared and they talk as well so that makes it harder when you hear them going mummy daddy and and, you know come and get me or whatever that makes it really horrible for the parents and I remember I did it with my own kids my four-year-old Lulu called out this morning at I think it was 446 I'm gonna say mummy can I come into your bed yet because I'm saying to her if you wake up like you're not coming into my bed until that little grow clock Mm. of yours is yellow I think I forgot to turn it on last night actually (laughs) I was just like Lula you know you could actually just get up but I'm glad she's working I'm like you have to stay in there 
she still does get up a lot. But um, it's funny, isn't it? It is funny. When we talk about toddlers or some form of sleep training, up to what age does this type of practice work? Like if you've still got a four-year-old that just does not sleep for whatever reason or something, is can you do it on a four-year-old or are they? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yep, you definitely can. So I've worked with a lot of four-year-olds. I've worked with the highest I go is five. So okay. I only work up to five years old because that's just I'm trained up to five years old. Right. Really, if you've got a six or a seven-year-old that's really not sleeping, I would be saying, is there something else going on? Yeah. You know, like are they low in melatonin? Do you need to go to the doctor? Is there something else going on? Do they have you know, breathing difficulties, something like that that could be potentially going on. Um, that's always something that I look at. So in my intake forms, I will always get a full picture of exactly what is going on with your baby and we then have a consultation we go over the whole situation. So in a toddler, if there is issues like, oh, yeah, he sleeps with his four other brothers in the room and they don't go to bed until nine o'clock and he's waking up at all these hours. Well, that's an understanding as to why mm. that's sort of going on. Sleep environment. That makes a lot yeah, of sense. Yeah, massively. I wanted to ask and sort of add to what I was saying before, like, you know, my parenting style's changed a little bit with this yeah. second baby. But in saying that, I'm definitely still a routine person. I'm still a routine mum. It works for me and I believe it works for my kids as well. And we all know how important sleep is for our overall health. And so if what I'm doing now with Ren doesn't allow me to get the right amount of sleep for me, then I think that I need to change something. Because if I'm not well slept, you know, it's like you can't cope. Mm -hmm. No, It can lead to postnatal depression and other, you know, mental health challenges and cause all sorts of problems within the whole household. And I also do remember reading an article about the connection of like kids brain development and not enough sleep, not the right amount or not enough quality sleep. So how important, you know, from your perspective, is it that not only us as the parents are getting the right amount of sleep, but also everyone in the household getting the right amount of sleep for just a healthy household? It's vital. Like it's Mm. literally, I have seen bubbies that have been just so exhausted and the parents are going, I don't know what to do. Like a baby who is so overtired, they don't develop properly. Mentally, they don't meet their milestones. They don't eat properly. They don't drink properly. They don't play properly. They're irritable all the time. They look tired. Like, And when you start focusing on routine and aligning their feeds properly and, you know, getting that nutrition into them, it is vital. And I've seen so many bubbies who that's happened to and then the parents are messaging me going, my baby is a totally different baby. They are so happy during awake times. They're feeding more. We're, you know, we're playing more. They're happier. They're lasting longer. And it's just that is what keeps me going, doing it, seeing that I am making such a change to these little bubbies and that they're so much happier yeah. But it is, it is, it is one of the most vital things because realistically, if you look statistically at bubbies who are bad sleepers, you are very likely to go through your adulthood and still not be a good sleeper. So you yeah. see adults who need to, you know, they don't sleep well at night, they're waking multiple times a night and they're, you know, just sitting on their phones or whatever. That will honestly go back to childhood if they were a bad sleeper. 
Yeah. They just never learnt the skill. I've had lots of people comment, like, I can't believe, you know, your six and a half year old still goes to bed by seven o'clock every night. And I'm like, if she doesn't go to sleep and have that like full night's sleep, like she is exhausted. Like, of course, we have nights where they stay up a bit later, but often like Lulu's in bed by 6.30 and like she's exhausted and she needs that sleep. And it kind of throws the whole week off if we have a couple of nights where that's put off so yeah no I I couldn't agree with you more it literally is the most vital part of it Mm. at the end of the day you're not doing yourself any favors by just not helping your baby sleep basically yeah it blows my mind that Lulu still had amazing day naps until she was like four yeah, so day naps, they are vital. So day naps, if your baby isn't napping well through the day, you're really going to find that that nighttime is massively affected. Yeah. So if they're catnapping through the day, there's a very high chance that you're going to have a baby who either goes down really late because they're just fighting sleep because they're so overtired or yeah. the other thing that will happen is they'll do a thing called a false start. So that false start basically is 40 minutes after they go to bed, they wake up. And they're really irritable and they, they, you know, they might need a feed to get back to sleep. And then yep. you'll find that they're waking up through each sleep cycle and they're just really cranky Exhausted. or they're just keeping awake. Yep. My girls both still had day naps until they started kinder pretty much and then they kind of just yeah. stopped wanting them during the day. But what sort of age do you think kids still really need that middle of the day lunchtime nap? Yeah, so really it should sort of finish at about three years old. So I have seen babies who, or like young kids who have sort of kept going past three and a half. Yeah. But really you will start to then see like the bedtime just goes out to like 8.30, 9 o'clock. They're then waking up overnight or they're rising early in the morning. And it just, although they may need it, it may just be that they actually need to have just rest time. So still to this day with the boys when they're not at kinder, I will still have rest time for them. They still have an hour a day where they just do mindless, relaxing games or something just to kind of, yeah, because really like kids of that age, they've got so much energy and if they're going go, 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 they're not going to be able to settle down and it's just going to cause an absolute hellish night for you. So I'd probably say around about that three-year-old stage would be really when you start looking at it. So we're obviously still talking so much about the importance of sleep. There are so many baby items on the market, which can be so overwhelming. And often it results in us receiving or purchasing a lot of items that we just don't need. What would your top three non-negotiable baby sleep items be? So I would 100% say the baby shusher. This is literally, have you heard of this before? I've never used one, so I'm really intrigued because I know a lot of people swear by them. Yeah, so I've been using this seriously since I had Oscar. I was gifted to it when I had Oscar and I am obsessed with it. This is what the sound makes. So it's like a shushing noise and you put it on when they go to sleep and it changes their thought pattern. I literally recommend this for every single console. I just love them. You can use them with toddlers, but they're just great from that newborn stage right up until, you know, 12 months even past. Are they hard then to get rid of them, like to the babies? No, no, no. So you don't have to use them every time. I tend to say at the start when you're starting sleep training, definitely use the baby shusha for when they go down to sleep and when you're doing your resettling. But you can start to back off on it and only use it if you really need to. But it just changes their thought pattern. So when they're crying, they hear that noise. They go, oh, my God, that's really nice. And then it kind of – it's a familiar sound to them. It sounds like the whooshing sound of a placenta. So. 
and it also stops you from having to do the shushing, which is actually a really nice thing because it yeah. relaxes your jaw a lot. <laughs> One less thing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So the shusher is amazing and it goes for 15 to 30 minutes. And then underneath that, I always have your white noise going. So you've got your white noise, which I've just got this one to show show today. But I would always use a white noise machine rather than an iPhone or an iPad. iPhones and iPads let off a high-pitched frequency that can irritate your baby's ears. So it's kind of like a microwave frequency. So it tends to irritate your baby's ears. Therefore, I say just use a machine, probably a plug-in one, so then you don't have to keep going through batteries. And I like it to sit at about 60 to 65 decibels because that's going to be a safe zone for their hearing. So you've got your white noise running underneath the whole time. As a third non-negotiable, I would probably be saying it's a tough one because it's there's kind of a few different ones for different age groups. So yep. for a newborn, I would be saying swaddle and yep. that would be, you know, arms down swaddle, not like a love to dream arms up or anything. Yep. I'd be doing arms down swaddle to really reduce that sort of startle reflex and just having a really dark room. So investing in a good quality uh, you know, blinds or even like a sleepy blind that's going to like a static film that will stick to the windows. That's a yeah. really, really good option. When you said you get really overwhelmed by a lot of products and stuff, like when you go to certain shops and stuff, there is an amazing one that has just popped up in Melbourne. Have you guys been to the memo yet? I haven't gone in because I haven't needed to get anything, but just seeing it from the outside, like it's just, it's beautiful too. And looks like they've got an incredible range in there. And what I love about there is you walk in, you don't feel overwhelmed. A lot of the stuff is just very, it's really sort of structured to what you need. So there's only like, you know, a few different baby monitors. There's only a few different prams. They're all curated for like the really specific things that you need. There's not like 40 different prams sitting in the one spot and you're going, oh my God, which one do I need? (laughs) Like buying a car when you buy a pram. Oh my God, isn't it? It's so, it is the most overwhelming thing. And I remember when I first got my first pram, I hated it. And then changed (laughs) when I had Hugo and I was like, it just, yeah, it's a really hard thing to do. Mm, The whole thing's very overwhelming, isn't it? Very much so. So lastly, Bianks, we all need to know how, well, your kids are a little bit older now, but how do they sleep? And how did you get them to sleep? <laughs> so I often get asked this when when I say to people, uh, they say, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a sleep consultant. Oh, your kids must sleep so well. <laughs> okay, so let me put it this way. I have had, I am very strict with my kids' routine. Saying that, like you, Kate, we will go out on the weekends. They sometimes won't get to bed until 9 or 10 mm. sometimes. And, yes, they are pretty ready the next day and they're pretty ready going to bed. But because we've got a really structured routine, they know what's happening, they're good. Most of the time they're good. But like any child, we have wake-ups in the middle of the night. We have times when they're sick and they're unwell and then they, you know, they'll be up all night and it's horrendous. So, yes, most of the time they sleep really well. But, you know, we do get the same, like, I don't want to go to bed. My foot hurts. I want another story. I need water. Mummy, you didn't tell me that thing you told me last week. And I'm like, what was that? He's like, I don't know. And then you're sitting there debating with them for 40 minutes. Like, it's Honey's thing at the moment is that she likes to remind me what we need to get at the shops the next day. (laughs) Because if she asks for something and I don't need her to have it or don't, she doesn't need it or something, I'll say, oh, we don't have any left. Oh, we need to go to the shops. So then when it's oh. bedtime, she'll be like, Mummy, we need to buy Band-Aids at the shops tomorrow. We need to get mushrooms. We need to. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, hurry up. It's time for bed. It's time for bed. Yeah, oh. Hugo is the same. I have to sing Hugo two songs, stroke him on the head like oh. 15 times. Like 
there's yeah they become very ritualistic but nine times out of ten they are good sleepers but trust me there are times where they are just awake and I'm like what the hell are you doing if I Mm. sing two songs instead of our usual three like I'm not getting out of there it does not happen no and then you try and change it up and change a different song and Hugo's like no mummy don't sing that song I'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) oh the nighttime routine at least let's all think of each other when we're in it because sometimes you just think like am I the only crazy one sitting here singing the same song 18 times in a row like sometimes you do feel like that's why I do like with my Q&A's I do Q&A's each week like on my Instagram and my main reason for doing it obviously I'm wanting to help people but I want everyone Mm. to know that everyone's in the same boat like Mm. so many of the questions that get asked so many people are actually wanting to know that so it's really helpful in that way I love your Q&A's on Instagram I often read the ones that aren't relevant to the ages of my children but I'm like oh that's interesting that's interesting so many great tips and I love how you give your time your personal time just to your community to help them it's it is important they're following me for a reason I want to be that source to help them Mm. and some people you know don't want a consultation or they can't afford a consultation or you know whatever but at least mm. they're getting something from it, which is really important to me as well. Well, Bianca, you're amazing. Thank you for all the work that you do and giving the world a little bit more sleep. Keep thanks, at it. guys. And thanks for having me on my favourite podcast oh, again. Yay. I just love it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get you back again because we love chatting with oh, you. It's yes. so nice Look, to have I love a it. good friend, good old friend on as well. It's so nice. Yeah, so nice to chat to you guys. Keep up the good work. That's it for today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes, hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common or you can check out our Facebook page which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day and as always, thanks for listening.